This is the Jason Kavnis Experience, hosted by Jason Kavnis. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business, people, leadership, HR, and how each guest strives to be great every day. Hello, and welcome to Jason Kavnis Experience. I'm your host, Jason Kavnis. The Jason Kavnis Experience is brought to you by Kavnis HR. At Cabinets HR, we deliver HR to companies with 49 or fewer people. Our guest today is Kenyon Salo. Kenyon, are you ready to be great today? I'm ready to be great. I'm always great. Let's do this. Kenyon Salo is one of the top keynote speakers and trainers in the fields of inspiration, leadership, and adventure. One of only five members on the Denver Broncos Thunderstorm Skydive team, he is seen each week during game season flying into the Denver Broncos Stadium at 60 plus miles per hour ending with a soft toe-tip landing on the 10-yard line. He brings to the stage over 20 years of successful audience engagement through humor, awe-inspiring moments, prolific, prolific, prolific storytelling, and interesting content. His mission is to give your event the next generation of keynote presentation experiences. Kenyon, thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it. I'm super stoked to be here. I appreciate being on the show. Thanks for having me, Jason. Kenya, talk about what, what is this thing? It's on your LinkedIn profile. It says checklist destroyer and founder of the bucket list, bucket list gift. What, what is that exactly? The bucket list life is really all about three things. It's about creating more experiences, sharing more stories and living more fulfilled. And ultimately my goal is to help people check things off in their life. And yeah, that can be the proverbial bucket list and those types of things, but it's really about living a truly fulfilled life by following those three simple steps. And so the whole bucket list life model is about create more, share more, and living more. Kenyon, so, so the NFL season is coming up. No one knows, knows what's going on. You know, talking about fans, no fans. Regardless of that, are you still able to like skydive to the stadium every home name game or have they said anything yet? Well, ultimately, it's going to be up to the NFL. It'll be up to the stadium and the Broncos themselves. Uh, we're just in a holding pattern, no pun intended, really. And uh, we're just seeing what's going to happen. Obviously, if there's no fans in the state in the stadium itself, then that's a whole different setup and scenario. But if they're going to allow some, like I know some stadiums are doing 10, 20,000 people. So that's a possibility. But again, I just, I'm waiting here. I'm letting them make the decisions. And then, you know, when they tell me to, you know, it's go time, let's jump on this plane. Then that's when I do that. Next, can you talk about your ninth grade English teacher and how she impacted your life? Yeah, you know, she's amazing. And so what happened there is that she really changed my life. And I didn't know it at the time, but we did a whole semester on the fact that we were going to go through public speaking. And she helped all the kids understand what, it's like to give a good public speech. And she taught us about even the littlest things about ums and ahs and body language and, and everything you do to present. And over the course of an entire semester, we learned a lot of the basic skills that a lot of people don't even know today, or they're just learning about. And so I'm so grateful for her because fast forward all the way to where I am now in life, those things are still applicable when I'm on stage now. 
And it's really quite amazing. And I actually reached out to her uh, about a year ago and I just, I called her and I said, look, do you remember ninth grade English class? You remember this kid, Kenyon? Well, that's me. And I just remember the, the, the thing that we went through and you helped us. And she said, yes. And I was like, Hey, so thanks so much. And I just, I gave her a big shout out and thank you because, um, she really, really changed my life. And because of her, she's impacted a lot of lives, hundreds of thousands of people because she helped me become the best public speaker I could be. I think that's a great lesson because a lot of people that talk about leadership, they think, you know, if I'm a leader, I'm going to impact the person like next to me, right? The true leadership is like the person you, 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 you impact as after that person, right? Because your English teacher impacted you, then you impact all these other people. So in true sense, the English teacher impacted all the people you impacted, right? That's right. It's a domino, but she was the catalyst. She was the one that pushes the first domino. So none of those dominoes fall over unless she was there to actually make that happen. And so it's, uh, it's really quite amazing what she's done. And one thing I didn't realize when I started the podcast a couple years ago, like I had no idea how, like, how many times like I said, um, other people say, um, unless, unless, until you, you listen to the recording, right? You're like, oh, man, that's, um, 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 right. You don't, you don't know that until you actually like pay attention. Right. And that's it. And she even taught us a lot of things. If you've seen whose line is it anyway, the improv comedy that they had on TV on one of the major networks and really what it was about is also on understanding improv. And so I still use that to this day. And I do train other speakers in and around that understanding the ability to improv. And, and what is it in that regard? Well, it's, it is comedy, but not necessarily because it can also be like, Hey, here's a topic. Like maybe somebody asks you a question and you have to have the ability to fill a certain amount of time and do it well with information that's valuable to the listener so that they can come away with it, but also being concise at the same time and not messing up the delivery with ums and ahs and, and things like that, that can really turn the listener off. Yes. I know one thing, you know, back when I was in school, I don't think they did a good enough job of, of emphasizing the point of getting in front of people and speaking, right? Because I'd be telling everyone now, get in front of people and talk, right? You know, convince them to do what you want to do, right? And back when I was in school, I don't think they did a, did a good, good enough job of doing that, right? Do you think that school is doing a better job of, of influencing kids? Like, hey, get up in front of people and, and talk and practice public speaking. Here's where I think the schools are making the mistake. And I even pass this information on to my high school kids. I have two high school kids. And what it comes down to is what they're teaching in school is like, hey, you're going to do a presentation. You need to memorize the presentation. You have four minutes to present whatever you're presenting in front of the class, in front of the judges. And that's how they teach these kids. And that transfers over to TED Talks too, because they do the same thing in TED Talks and TEDx, which is like you have 18 minutes. And so they teach these speakers through the process because they have to go through these levels before they're actually on stage for the filmed event that's the live event. And what's happening is everybody's having to memorize their 18 minutes because they don't want to mess up. They want to make sure that they get out the information that they want to share. Now, the best TED Talks that have ever happened and have the most number of views is when the expert came in, they were given 18 minutes and they shared their passion without a memorization. They knew what they wanted to cover, but they just naturally did the 18 minutes because it comes from the heart, not coming from the brain and it's memorized for the delivery. And I don't want to hear a robotic delivery. I want to hear the passion and I want to hear the natural delivery of the content and the expertise that they have. And one thing I think when you memorize a speech where the case would be, like, I think when you're talking, I think when you're talking, sometimes you have like a sonic, right? 
And even though silent might be only like two or three seconds, your mind is like two or three minutes, right? And then you start to like, kind of like, you know, like freak out. Oh my goodness, I haven't said that for two minutes. And you kind of start down yourself, right? And like one problem I have, like I, I sure does I talk fast, right? So sometimes when I'm giving a speech, my mind, in my mind, I'm like two minutes ahead of my speech. I have to really focus. Whenever, whenever I give a important speech, I talk in front of people, I have to focus on myself, like concentrate on slowing down. Well, but that's also a talent and a gift at the same time. Because Jason, you have the ability to have what you want to say in cue and then let it deliver at the same time. So yeah, maybe you have to slow it down a little bit. But the talent is a lot of people don't have that ability. They don't have the ability. I always really mirror it to someone who's doing translations for a live event. They're listening to someone speak in one language and then they're delivering out the message in another language for the people that are listening as they translate it. I think those people are absolutely geniuses that they have that ability. Like my brain can't even comprehend it. But what it does understand is I have a concept. I know what the end result is. And then I know how to get there by speaking in it, I just keep adding to it along the way until I get to the end result, success, let's move along. And same thing happens with podcasts. I don't prepare for the podcast. I just go live, the questions that are asked, and then I deliver accordingly. That's great. So you're big on, on teaching speakers to connect with, 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 with audiences. So is it, is it different ways to connect? Like, it, it, Do you teach that based on the extrovert, introvert? the size of the crowd, the type of crowd, like for example, does an extrovert talking to hundred people who are like car salesmen connect with audience differently from someone who's an introvert talking to 5,000 people who are like, you know, I don't know, insurance salesman or, or is the process the same regardless? The end result is everybody's got an amazing story. Every single person that I meet has an amazing story that should be shared. Now, not everybody wants to share that. Not everybody wants to be a speaker. But for those that want to be speakers, for those that want to inspire audiences, for those that are people that are saying, I have a message that needs to get out there. It doesn't matter the size of the audience. It doesn't matter who the person is or whether they're introvert or extrovert. What matters is that they understand the process of how the speaking business works. Because if we want to impact lives, you need to have three things that are in place. The first is making sure that you have your messaging down. The second is making sure that your stagecraft or delivery is phenomenal. And then the third is understanding the business of speaking. When speakers understand those three things and they do them well, audiences of all demographics, sizes, and cultures will get it and it'll be amazing. And second, they'll be able to get referrals. They'll build their own business, but ultimately they'll be helping people because they'll be impacting them along the way because they understand how to do it. And so, yes, there is an art to it, just like anything, like being a great comedian, an actor on stage for Broadway, whatever it is. But once you learn those things, then you know how to adjust accordingly. And sometimes you have to adjust in real time. And once you understand how to do that, then the audience walks away going, Wow, that's exactly what I needed today. So let's say that someone out there they want to become a per, 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 professional speaker. Like, what's the general rule? Like, should you use like speak for free five times and build up an audience and start asking for money? She asked for money right away. Like, is there a general rule for that, or just like play it by ear? And each case is different. Well, we all need to practice our craft. When I went in, I wanted to learn comedy so that I could help in my speaking business. So. I had to do amateur night at Denver Comedy Works on a regular basis. I wasn't getting paid. Two-minute sets. Had to figure it, study it out, practice, try again, fail, practice, try again. 
And then eventually that was transferred on stage. That is the same thing that has to happen for someone who wants to be a speaker. If you want to live your best life and be a speaker and share your message and inspire others, you have to be willing to practice. And whether that's on telephone calls, practicing on Zoom calls, practicing in front of small audiences, maybe where you work, if you can train some stuff where you work, it's always about practicing all the time so you can up your game. Now, the very first event that, I mean, sure, I did lots and lots of free stuff over time. And I, and a lot of it was training calls back in the day when Zoom wasn't a thing and you would train large groups of people over telecalls. That's what I did. And I did over 400 phone calls totally for free over the course of four years. So just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours just doing those free calls and practicing being able to speak over a medium that would deliver my voice. Now, once I got my first main speaking engagement, it was only 500 bucks. But at the same time, I was like, wow, $500. This is phenomenal. But I realized in the speaking industry that that's the low end. 1,000, 1,500, 2,500, that's the lower end. 5,000 is average, 7,500. I now make over five figures per engagement. And that's not to impress anybody, but to impress upon people that once you have the skill set there, people will pay top dollar for you to inspire their audiences. And so everybody's winning. The audiences are walking away. And of course, you're walking away. And I always say that my bank account represents the number of people that I've helped. And so that's what's absolutely key there. So for speakers, do you think speakers are trying to switch from free to pay too fast before they have the craft down? Well, sure. I do see it a lot of times because I've seen a lot of speakers that have a certain price range and then I see them and I'm like, "Mm, that isn't there. But here's why is because they may get an event. But what happens is they don't get the referrals. And the reason they struggle in the speaking business is because they haven't priced themselves accordingly. And they're saying, why am I not getting more events? Well, that's because the number one way speakers can market themselves is by doing it from the stage. You get an hour to market yourself as being amazing and delivering exactly what you say, because at every event, there's a minimum of one person that should come up to you and say, that was amazing. We'd like you to come to my event. I know somebody. And then you get the referral business. I have links where I can follow where one event turned into 10 events. And that one event turned into over $100,000 worth of revenue because I did well at the first event. And that's the key. You have to be amazing on stage. And that's your number one marketing. Doesn't matter what website you have. Yes, you have to have that. But you can't say, oh, the bureaus aren't hiring me enough. The website's not doing its work or whatever. It's you when you're on stage, that's where the true magic comes out. And that's when people see that, man, you, you can definitely have a continuation of speaking career just from referrals alone. Yeah. I remember hearing someone say that when they're speaking, they're not only speaking to the current crowd, but to their future customers as well, that they're going to get from that crowd. That's exactly right. So when you're giving a speech and that's suppose there's a thousand people there, and you notice like 700 of them have their cell phones out on social media. Do you look at it as like a as distraction or you look at it as an opportunity to reach more people? Well, see, this is where the art and the stagecraft comes in. So first and foremost, the number one thing when it comes to delivering your message from stage is you obviously have to be engaging. I've watched speakers over decades and I wonder why is the audience doing this? Why are they not engaged? Why are they engaged? Why are they super fired up? Why are some people falling asleep? So out of a thousand, 
If seven people are on their cell phone, I'd be surprised. And here's the reason why. First off, I handle it at the very, very beginning where I do this thing called agreements. So what happens is I come on stage, I do three enrolling questions, and then I share gratitude for the people that empowered me to get there and be on that stage. And then I do this little quick section called agreements. And it's very, very simple. What I do is I say, hey, how many of you are willing to play at 100%? And most people raise their hand. And then I make a little joke about skydiving. And then I say it again. I said, no, really, how many of you are willing to play at 100%? And you get most people raising their hand and they yell out, yes. Okay. Now they've agreed that they're willing to play at hundred percent. I then follow that up with showing my cell phone and I say, Hey, these things right here and iPads and computers and desktops or anything else you have, are you willing to keep those things away for the next 60 minutes? And of course you hear some laughter and I'm like, there's some trepidation. People are like, no, I don't want to give that up. But then I, I said, look, are you willing? You just told me you were willing to play at hundred percent. So are you lying to me? Are you lying to yourself? And they go, yes. And then that's what happens. Now they've made this agreement with themselves. They've made this agreement publicly with the group and event planners are always like, wow, I haven't seen it like that. I've never seen my event have that many people not have their cell phones out. And that's amazing. And so it really sets them up for success. And then also sets up me for success because now I know they're engaged. So that's part of it, but that's not the only thing. The one other thing that I'll add here, which is really important is how people are consuming content. It used to be that someone could you know, Hey, send me that 30 minute video. I'll watch it. But nobody's doing that nowadays. But they'll sit there and watch TikTok for two hours on 15-second videos. So what does that ultimately mean? I need to make sure that during my hour presentation or hour and a half presentation, every three minutes, roughly, something new is happening. They're engaging with me. They're watching a video. They're getting up. They're moving around. They're talking to somebody else. They're back with me again. Wait, something. Oh, he's on a ladder on stage. And now here's the serious part. Now here's a joke. And then all of a sudden, they don't know what's going on. But all of a sudden, they're like, wow, did 75 minutes really just go by? That was wonderful. I needed that. So, so being engaged in speakers is a key to that then, I'm thinking. 100%. And especially for speakers, most of the time, they're being brought in as an anchor, either opening or closing or a luncheon. So the, the spot for that is to be engaging. These audiences have been listening to technical stuff over these conferences for three days. They don't want another speaker that's going to speak from a, from a level standpoint. They need someone that's going to break the flow. So it is all, one of the things that I hear feedback a lot is the amount of energy I bring to the stage, the amount of energy I bring to the audience and I infuse into the audience. And I know that's part of the success principle and formula for me getting more and more events all the time. So back to skydiving real fast. How long have you been doing skydiving? I started in 1998. I did my very first skydive. I'd come out of professional snowboarding and I realized that I wanted to do my next thing. And that was in 1998. And so 22 years now, 7,000 plus jumps, traveled all over the world for it. And also now jumping into every single one of the home games for the Denver Broncos. And only one of five people that do that in the entire planet, especially when we're navigating the cable cam cables and how technical it is the most technical demo skydive in the world. And so 
is there different levels of skydiving? Like, like one, like it's like different certifications. And like you have like one skydiver, of course, you're a beginner, but seven thousand, you like you get like different levels or different certificates or different awareness or whatever the case may be. Sure. And the basics for learning skydive, there's your, your, where you're learning with instructors and that's seven jumps. And then you get your A license at 25 jumps. And then you, you really can go anywhere in the country with that type of license. Now that's still a very, very small number of jumps. Then you, you know, you've got 200 for B and then eventually up to 500 and things like that. And so the way that works ultimately is that you're just getting to a certain level in skydiving. But after that, it's really the world is open for you. And that world is open in such a way that it's, it depends on what type of skydiving do you like? Do you want to fly on your belly? Do you want to fly on your head? Do you want to fly at an angle? Do you want to fly wingsuits? Do you want to just fly canopies? Do you want to work on accuracy? Do you want to be a demonstration skydiver? There's so many different types of skydiving out there. People find their home. And ultimately, part of that home is not just what they're doing in the air, but the people that they're hanging out with. Because you might go to the skydive drop zone and do 10 jumps in a day. And that's a total of a minute per jump if you're regular jumping or two minutes if you're wingsuiting. So really, you're only practicing the actual sport itself for 15, 20 minutes a day. But it's the people you're spending the time with, the community, the friends, the fam, the people that become family. That's really what's important here. I have to imagine the skydive community is pretty small, right? It is in a sense, um, but there are still 3 million skydives that are done a year in the United States. So that gives you an idea. But yeah, I mean, it's still small. I mean, look, you take 100 people and you say, hey, who wants to go skydiving tomorrow? 20 of them will raise their hands, but five will be actually the only ones that go. Now, can you skydive in any type of weather? Like, Can you, can you skydive in the snow and rain or, or is it only like a warm weather sport, so to speak? Well, there are FAA regulations. You're not allowed to jump through clouds. Uh, so you always have to have a visual of the ground in terms of where you're landing. So you're not allowed to jump through clouds. And there's uh, regulations about how far under the clouds and distances from clouds. So the answer is no. You And, and it hurts. You don't want to skydive when it's... And sometimes in Colorado, we jump out. We're below the clouds, but there's still some precipitation at the top couple thousand feet and uh, whether it's water or ice crystals and things like that. And it, it, oh, it just, it hurts. So uh, I choose not to uh, whenever possible. And skydiving, I have to assume that all the most people think, oh, skydiving is dangerous. You can die. I have to presume that the safe, safety levels and records are like, like top notch, right? Like very high. Well, sure. I mean, over all the years, the, the decades from the 1950s, 60s, all the way till now, there's been a lot of trial and error. And unfortunately, a long time ago, error usually meant death. Nowadays, what happens is, look, the gear has figured itself out. They, they've, they've figured out how to do gear in such a way that the gear is pretty solid. And even that's why you have a backup parachute in skydiving. And I recently had a, I had to get rid of my main parachute and deploy my reserve and it worked out great and had to land it on the ground, went back up and, you know, did another skydive the next day. So it's pretty simple, but so 3 million skydives in the U S somewhere between 10 to 15 fatalities a year on average, which is pretty minimal. And a lot of times it's jumper error. So they either made a turn too low to the ground or something else happened. And so a lot of times it just comes down to jumper error. And again, that happens in life. It's unfortunate. Um, but our sport does very, very well in terms of safety. So let's say someone is going to go to uh, do this for the first time. Do skydiving companies have some kind of vetting process where they say, okay, 
this guy, you know, he looks like he's drunk or high or something wrong with him. Or is there any kind of vetting process to that? Or like you, like, like you deny your customers? How does There's that work? an enormous amount of waivers that have to be signed. And of course, if anybody ever saw those types of things, then we would not allow somebody to exit the aircraft. And you know what? We don't, we rarely see it because people are doing their very best to show up and, and, and experience the skydive. Yeah, you, you know, I'm thinking it's an example, you know, a bunch of, of people, they're drunk. Oh, I dare to skydive. Okay. Let's skydive right now. Right. You know, worst case scenario. Right. Well, fortunately that skydiving isn't done at night in terms of for the general public. So, that's and that's true. probably the most, uh, the time where most people are, uh, um, drinking in that regard. And additionally, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, what you here's, here's what usually happens. They're drinking the night before and they're like, we should totally do a skydive. And then they, they say, okay, tomorrow. And then that's how it gets set up. Yeah. They show up. Do they sometimes show up hungover? <laughs> yeah. They're not drunk anymore. They're hungover, but you know what? If they want to go skydiving hungover, we'll take them. But yeah, 100%, nobody that is intoxicated um, is getting out of an aircraft. Can you explain the difference between a regular skydive and a base jump? So skydiving is out of an aircraft or of any sort, you know, helicopters, airplanes, and things like that. Um, base jumping is an acronym for buildings, antenna, span, which is like a bridge, or earth. And in skydiving, there's two parachutes, and that's regulated by the FAA. In base jumping, we only use one parachute because there's just not enough time for a second parachute. And uh, so I have about 400 plus base jumps. And that includes all of those things, buildings, antennas, span, and earth. I've jumped all over the world. And also I've done uh, a few wingsuit-based jumps. So you can just jump in street clothes or you can also jump in uh, wingsuits and fly. I'm sure most people have seen the videos. And that is the true form of flight that when I was a kid, five years old, dreaming of flying above trees and houses, that, ha that is the closest thing that has brought me to that. Next, let's just start traveling. So you, you've traveled to a lot of countries. What, what intrigues you about a country to travel to? Like what, what about a country like, like piques your interest for you to, to, to pick that country, go there? The people. I mean, there are, yes, every country has, has its experiences. And I often think how interesting it is, how someone will post, they won't post anything in their own town, but they'll go to another country and they'll be like, I went down this street and this is where they make bread. And it was, the, and I met these people and they were the coolest people ever. I'm like, well, that's also in your town because people are traveling to your town and doing the same thing. They're saying, look, I went to, you know, they come to Boulder, Colorado. They're like, I went to Boulder, Colorado. I ate in this outdoor cafe and it was so beautiful and the mountains were there and, and that's their thing. So Yes. The experiences are first and foremost. Whenever I go to another country, I say, well, what are the experiences that people do when they go there? And then I say, what are the experiences that the locals do that most travelers don't do? And so I want to find those things. And then ultimately it is about the people themselves. Like if I have a, I meet someone, have a wonderful conversation um, and, and really understand the culture and some of the things that they love and some of the things that they're challenged with. And are they the same or different than how I'm living my life? And so there's so many different things. And if I transfer that back to the bucket list life, first, it's about the experiences. What are the experiences I can have? Second, what is it about the stories? What are the stories that I can hear from the people that live there or the people that are traveling there? And third, how can I help someone and, and have that type of scenario? How can I be able to give of myself in that country? And it shows up in different ways. 
So do you have a, a certain number of goal of like a certain number of countries you want to visit, like 100, 125, or you just travel when you can and the number doesn't really matter to you? Well, I'm on my way. I'm approaching 40 right now. And so I'm just kind of letting it unfold. Sometimes it's because I get hired for a speaking engagement. Uh, last year, uh, I got a call and they're like, Hey, can you come to Malta? And I'm like, okay, Malta, where's Malta? Oh yeah, that's right. Malta's off the coast of Italy. And then, you know, looked up like, wow, look at all this. I had no idea, you know? So there's that scenario, but then there's also the plans like, Hey, I really want to make sure I make it to this country next or if skydiving or base jumping brings me there. Usually when I end up in a country, it's because skydiving, base jumping, or speaking brought me there. Next, what's a country you went to where most people are like, I would never travel there, or that's a crazy place to go to, or a country like no one's even heard of? So there's a lot of possibilities. I mean, you take a look at um, South Africa. And South Africa itself, when I uh, traveled through Cape Town and Durban, that's a scenario where there's first world country, and then you can drive down a hill, and you're in third world country, and then you drive back up the other side of the hill, and you're in first world country again. So that is one scenario where some people may not travel to that scenario, to those types of countries because they feel unsafe. And I get it. That's their call. Generally, I, you know, understand uh, what type of risks I'm taking. And at the same time, I can also see that it's actually not as unsafe. It's not, it's not as crazy as people say. And you just have to respect maybe time, maybe don't be in that scenario at three in the morning, but driving through in the midday. Okay. You're going to be good to go. Um, but also take a country like Japan. So a lot of people go to the main Island, but I had an opportunity to go to the Northern Island and the Northern Island is a completely different world than say Tokyo. And so yes, in downtown Tokyo and Akibara during the, in the electronics district, it is all that hustle and bustle ended up on the Northern Island and it's three feet of snow every single night in the wintertime. And it's quiet. And I was in a hostel and um, there was uh, soup every evening and, and you got to know the locals and the family sharing this big house for, for, with people. And it's a different way of life. And so a lot of people don't think about the untraveled uh, path as often. And you think about there's plenty of places in the United States that you don't want to be at three in the morning either, right? Well, that's true too. So let's go to CEOs. Talk about the importance of CEOs being able to be comfortable and confident speaking in front of people. So ultimately, especially for CEOs, because they're leaders and leaders are also attached to data. I think really what it comes down to CEOs or anybody that's going to deliver from the stage in general is letting go of the data. You know what you know, and that's important. Additionally, letting go of being perfect because everybody gets off stage and they're like, oh, I forgot to say that one thing or it didn't, this didn't work out as planned. And they're so stressed about making it perfect that the general presentation doesn't come off well. And so what do they do to make sure that they try and make it perfect? They either have their notes and they're standing at a podium. I, I want to take a sledgehammer to every single podium I see. So they stand behind this podium, they have it there, or they put all, they use it as a crutch. They put all their bullet points up on a slide and then they're reading verbatim from the slide. Or they say, I know you can't read this because there's so many things on this slide, but this is kind of what it says. And oh, okay, we'll just go to the next slide. And it's just like death by PowerPoint. So letting go of the data and really simplifying. And it's a thing that I call punting. Punt what you need to get rid of and keep it simple and just say, look, my main goal with today is sharing these three things. And if those three things come across, you've won. 
Yeah, because I'm raising money for my startup now, so I do a lot of pitch competitions. And so many founders, CEOs, like get bogged down in the details. My product does one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and you're like, you know, like stop the manage, right? That's right. So, someone thinks they're not a great speaker. How can they become a great speaker? Just practice, practice the craft, do it over and over again. Any any hits on that? I mean, everybody in life that was ever good at something wasn't born good at it. There is natural ability. Yes, I can't sing, I can't dance, and I'm horrendous at art and drawing and things like that. But the gift I was given was the ability to communicate. But I still had to practice. So I take the passion that I have and knew that I could communicate, but then understanding about those three things, messaging. I mean, it took me two decades to figure out what my message was. I knew back in the early 90s, I wanted to be like Tony Robbins. I knew it then, but it took until the mid, you know, it was like 2014, 15, when my message started to flush itself out. And I was like, okay, now I can present on this. But just because I didn't have my message didn't mean that I couldn't be practicing my craft along the way. Talking with friends, uh, coming up with cool stories, sharing stories all the time, communicating with people. Yeah, that's part of the process. So practice is the key. Yeah, I think a lot of people have this misperception that, you know, a great speaker just gets up and talks, talks, talking, right? I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, remember this wrong, but I remember hearing somewhere where Steve Jobs, his speeches, he would like actually like rehearse and rehearse. He would make people come and watch him, you know, all times of the night. And like, I think it said like every speech he gave, he actually practiced like two, three, four days, probably more days, right? It's a lot of practice. It is practice. And then once you figure out the practice, then ultimately you should be able to deliver from the heart. Like even for me, when I show up on stage, I have my framework. But no two keynotes are exactly the same. It's like a fingerprint, still a fingerprint, but no two keynotes are exactly the same. The people that are like, hey, I know that I get to, you know, when I show this slide, I have seven minutes and 38 seconds left. I'm like, how do you know that? And I realize it's because they've memorized their keynote verbatim. And that is just ultimately the audience feels that. And they, you might as well just record it and show them a video because you're, you, there's no passion behind it. Yeah. One thing I actually beat myself up on, and I, I'm better now, like I, I would give a speech or whatever the case would be, I'd always forget something, right? And afterwards, man, I forgot to say this, and, but now I'm like, okay, I forgot it, you know, must not be important at the time, right? Just, just right. go with the flow. Well, and that's it. I mean, at the end of the day, if the audience is moved by you and they have their aha moment, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you forgot. So you as a speaker, I'm a big believer that every customer is not a good customer. How do you vet potential clients and, t- and decide to tell them no? Well, sure. So a lot of the bureaus that I work with, I have a couple dozen bureaus that I partner with and I'm listed with. And of course, anybody that comes through, generally, there's a good fit because they know what they're looking for. They're like, we're looking for energy. We want somebody that's funny. We want someone that's new and is just really going to leave the audience wowed, but also feeling great and that they've learned a couple of things. So by the time they get to me, they, they kind of say, yeah, we're pretty sure this is what we're looking for. But additionally, like, here's an example. I'm really, really quite phenomenal with audiences that are at least 50% women. And why is that the case? Well, women are very open. They're ready to learn. And men are guarded at first. So if there's at least 50% women, the women will be open right away. They'll be engaged. They'll be there. And the men will follow. But if, the, if it's an audience that's entirely men, like 90, 99%, it takes me longer to get them to open up. They do eventually. But that first 15, 20 minutes is more of a challenge 
feel like you're pulling them along because they're like, Hey, what's this guy about? What's this? Maybe, you know, and there's a little bit of like alpha male going on scenario. Also, if the audience is super data oriented, and what do I mean by that? Take a room full of engineers, take a room full of attorneys. They're all very cognitive, super intelligent. And so, for example, they read, oh, it's, it's a, here's a presentation about the bucket list life. What do I hear afterwards? I thought you were going to give me the 10 steps to building and checking off a bucket list because that's how they are. They're cognitive, they're linear. And I'm like, no, that is not what this is about. This is about living your best life. So that's where I, I, when someone comes to me and says, this is the type of audience, I say, well, what's your desire? Because this is, this, these are the things that potentially could be issues with your audience. And I might not be the best speaker for you. Is there something out there that like great speakers, like, you know, like a college had a great professor, there's something where people, they see you're speaking and they like rate you or something like that. Or how does that work? Is it like a, is that kind of sort of like a Yelp for speakers or anything like that? Uh, there's not a, not that I know of a Yelp for speakers. Uh, ultimately it's about referrals. Um, there, there is scenarios where like eSpeakers.com is a listing place where you can list yourself. Ultimately, it's about the testimonials. In the speaking industry, testimonials are the number one thing you can get and use to accelerate your speaking career. And so I've learned little tricks and tips on ways to get the testimonials because they're not the easiest to get your hands on. And so uh, me and the team have figured out ways to be able to do that. And it's something that I train to speakers that work with me. And so testimonials are super, super important along the way, uh, for sure. And, and, and I think I saw your website, maybe wrong, but you have like a, a speaker training program also. Yeah. So I took a good look, just like I looked at the speaker industry when I jumped into it in 2015. I said, okay, what are people doing? What are they not uh, staying up to speed with in the industry? And how can I come in and infuse a different way, but also understand what to stay on track with that has been working in the speaker industry? And that has been very successful, as I mentioned, went from $500 to five-figure engagements in one year because I understood, hey, I'm going to do things slightly differently. Just think about like how Tesla has done things differently in the auto industry, and they've been quite successful. Same thing we wanted to do with the speaker training side of things, which is number one reason is I'm doing this because if I help someone who's got a great message deliver that message well, and then reach more audiences. Just like you said in the very beginning, how the teacher was the catalyst. Hopefully I can be the catalyst for other speakers and they can reach more audiences and we can impact the world together. So we, me and the team decided we were going to do speaker training on such a level that we would figure out what worked for us. How can we teach that? have an amazing price point that's better than what I've seen in the industry and give people lifetime access because this is a lifetime career. It's an infinite game. You never become the best speaker. You're only the best speaker that you are today. And you're always improving every single day. So we wanted to make sure that there was lifetime access and always lifetime value. That meant that more value was being added all the time. So as I learn in the industry, I make sure I pass that on to all of the people that I work with. Can you talk about how you utilize social media and what platforms you use? So yeah, Facebook is one of those things been around a long time and that built my brand along with Instagram, which is smaller, but I just got done with a team call and we were going over TikTok and TikTok is our next power play. And the reason is, is that 
over the course of a month, I'm averaging about 75,000 new followers a month. So I came into TikTok last November. My daughter was like, no, dad, you can't be on TikTok. And I was like, oh, wait, you it's not for you. And I was like, you just, and she's like, no. And I, I did it. And then all of a sudden, like four months later, I got my kids coming home going, hey, my friends are coming up to me going, oh, I saw your dad's TikTok. It was great. And it's amazing. Like your dad's TikTok famous. Now, now look, I don't know if that's the case, but you know, as I'm approaching, as I'm approaching three quarters of a million followers on TikTok, now I realize the value and the team is looking at that and is saying, okay, what is the ability to be able to leverage this to build the brand around the bucket list life, around how I live my life, my speaking, my training, all of those things to inspire more people and impact more lives. And so we know that this is definitely a growth strategy. And so we're putting a lot of energy into that right now. Is there a difference between uh, either speaking or preparing to speak either in person or virtually? That is, that is one thing that we are making sure that we pivot as quickly as possible. Look, the world got shut down in March. I had a lot of events get pushed to next year. So I didn't lose revenue. It just got pushed. So it's delayed revenue. But at the same time, I had some events say, okay, we're going to go virtual. And then of course, I have other events saying, hey, this year, we're just going to do virtual. Will you be our speaker? And there is a difference. Look, the message is the same. The business is slightly different because you have to actually position yourself as a successful virtual speaker. And it's not as easy as just pushing Zoom and sitting down. There's like, the team and I laugh about it. Like, we're not just, I'm not just a speaker anymore. It's like production, you got lighting and you got cameras and having to integrate all that stuff. So it's a challenge, but also how to deliver virtually. And one of the key things is you actually have to up your energy by at least a third so that it transfers correctly because they can't feel your energy from the stage. So you have to, to engage your audience, you have to be able to transfer that energy through the virtual medium. So next, talk about the pros and cons of being a professional speaker. Pros. Impacting lives. That's the number one thing. Seeing cities, seeing new locations, being able to hear people's stories, connect, knowing that you're making a difference in the world and the, the pay again, but it's just a representation. You'll get paid more by the number of people you're helping. Cons. Okay. Back at the airport again, traveling again, sometimes long rides, uh, hotel after hotel after hotel new location. Sometimes it's hard. Like I like to eat well whenever possible. Sometimes it's hard to find good food in some of the locations. And other times it's like, wow, look, this is great food everywhere. Um, navigating that type of thing. Also knowing that um, for a lot of people, this that challenge of knowing or actually not knowing when their next paycheck is coming, that can be terrifying for a lot of people. They say, look, I expect to make this amount this year. Well, what if you don't? What if a pandemic comes through? You know, those types of things. And they actually, I heard a, a statistic that said that 50% of all people that said that they are speakers, they list themselves as speakers on LinkedIn and things like that, or we're getting any revenue will be wiped off the map after this pandemic. So that's pretty tremendous. I know that the team and I will come out of this stronger than we went in. And that's because we're focusing on all the things we can control right now working on the business, working on the messaging side, working on the stagecraft side. And I believe we'll be six to eight months ahead of most speakers because they just said, oh, I'm not speaking. So they did something else. 
or they did nothing at all. And I'm saying, Hey, how can I prepare during this time to be more successful and come out the, on it? I call it like a preseason. Like I'm just looking at this as an elongated preseason before the actual regular season starts, hopefully 2021. I mean, all this stuff going on is bad, but like you said, this is an opportunity also, right? It's tremendous opportunity. Like, it's, it's a way to absolutely up your game in all areas. And there will be people. See, there's, there's going to be two types of people. There will be people that come out of this and go, actually, it's three. There will be people that come out of this and go, wow, the pandemic destroyed me. I get it. I understand. Everybody's dealing with different factors along those lines. I understand that that is an absolute challenge. There will be people that just stayed status quo. Like I didn't lose my job. I'm able to work from home. I still get paid the same amount. Nothing has really changed for the most part. And so then there's those. There will also be the third group of people that will say the pandemic was the best thing that happened to me from a financial and business standpoint. They will come out of this side and they will be stronger, better, quicker, ahead of the game. They will have created something that they would never have created had they not had the time to do that during the pandemic. I want to make this very clear that everything that I'm talking about is only from a business side of things. I understand that people are struggling when it comes to health. I understand that people have lost family members and it's absolute tragedy that this has happened. I know that we are all affected in different ways when it comes to the actual virus itself and how it's impacting lives from a health standpoint. So there is a challenge and I know that no matter where people are on those levels, I know that everybody's doing their very best. And that's ultimately what I look at is like, okay, I understand that they're doing their best with what they understand. I also know that sometimes you have to push a little harder to get where you want. And yes, we're you know struggling on a level. And so if we struggle a bit and we grow and we come out the other side stronger in however way that shows up, that's a win. Kenyon, I understand you have something for our listeners today. Absolutely. So maybe there are people out there right now that are saying, you know what? I feel like I've got a message. I've got a story. I've got something to share. I always felt like I should be on stage. I would like to pivot in this way and learn about speaking. And so the opportunity, the opportunity here is to join me, the team, and our community of speakers that are up and coming. And you can go to kenyansalo.com. And you can look under training and you'll be able to see the offering there to become a speaker. Additionally, know that we are training for live stages for eventually the opening of the world, but also training people to be able to deliver virtually. So it couldn't be a better time. Understand that what you do now shows up in six months. So I'm telling people start now so that you're strong in six months from now when the world opens up and you're strong and ahead of the game when 50% of the speakers are off the map, but instead you're here and you're ready to have uh, great success. So join me there and I'll jump on a free live call with you and I will do 30 minutes of speaker strategy to understand your goals and help you get there. So again, kenyansalo.com, click training and uh, come join us and let's do that free speaker strategy session. That's a great point. I think so many people, you know, invest in themselves and I'm going to do something today. They want results in like two or three weeks. Right. But you actually have to have a patience and, and put the work in and know, know it's going to take six months a year before you get an impact when you're investing in yourself. That's right. When did we connect? How long ago did I send an email to you and chat with you? It's been a while. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like three or four months. So here's the scenario. I sent the email to you. You said, look, my first opening is is going to be, you know, end of July, beginning of August. I said, great, put me there. And then you'll put out the podcast and then it'll go live um, that way. Well, well, think about it. That's anywhere between four and six months for results to happen. That was worth that email that I sent on that day. Yes. Next, can you share your social media so people who reach out to you and your company? Yeah, it's at Kenyan Salo everywhere. So at Kenyan Salo, KenyanSalo.com, Kenyan Salo on Facebook, uh, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Kenyan Salo, at Kenyan Salo. And for a listener who has a link to his gift and his social media on the blog, on the show notes, and the show notes are at com. And be sure to share this episode. Uh, Kenyan, how many people are on your team? We have a very, very small team. We have uh, me and my director of content, Kyler Knudsen, and my brand manager, Alex Kazai. And that's all we need because we're able to outsource everything by using tools and software tools on the internet and the web. And uh, we do hire through Upwork when we need some written content or other smaller things along those ways. But we like to keep it small and it absolutely works. So Kenyon, we're coming to the end of our talk. Can you give us any wisdom or, or advice or anything you want to talk about? The number one thing that I want to leave with you today is to say yes. Say yes. When you're thinking about saying no and things like time, money, fear, and responsibilities come up, just say yes. Let the how figure itself out later and it will all work out. It always does. So, yep, simply say yes and let the how figure itself out. Kenya, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been a true pleasure, Jason. I appreciate the time and I appreciate the opportunity to impact the listeners that you have. So thank you very much. And to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. Remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Kavnis Experience. Be sure to connect with us across social media. media at Kavnis HR. Thank you and remember to be great every day. Don't you know, pump it up. You've got to pump it up. Don't you know, pump it up. You've got to pump it up. Don't you know, pump it up.